Bateman's getting a little play now, maybe ahead of where the Ravens are picking. Marshall, not as much. So Bateman seems like he's a hot guy right now of, the, of those two. It's ridiculous. I mean, how many wide receivers I could keep talking about. I had never, ever seen a wide receiver group this talented and this deep. I called it in August the most mysterious draft ever, and I've been doing it for 43 years. So that's a long time, and it's not an an exaggeration. Welcome into the lounge. We are in the thick of draft talk, and we have nobody better to get than this guy, ESPN's senior NFL draft analyst, Mel Kuyper Jr., who, like Daniel Jeremiah last week, Mel's also a Baltimore guy. I mean, we're talking about a season ticket holder here. Baltimore Nate, Baltimore resident. I don't know if Mel's a Baltimore native. Is he a native or just a resident? I don't know if he's a native or a resident. I don't know if he actually lives in Baltimore, but he's in the Baltimore but, area. He will give yeah, him the whole. He's a he's a Maryland he's, resident. Maryland for sure, for sure. But yeah, Mel 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 knows the Ravens. He knows yeah, the yeah. Ravens from Baltimore. Native. He got his address pulled up here. Ba- or what? Ba- ba- <laughs> Baltimore Baltimore native man. He went he went to Essex Community College. I'm on the wiki. I'm on the wiki page. His his home, his home phone. You got a social security number you're going to share now too. He's he's been covering the draft (laughs) since 1984 when I was born. Yeah, you know, I mean that tells you something about how long Mel's been doing it because I'm old. Yeah, but Mel, honestly, he he is he's so good uh, when it comes to breaking down prospects, and and I love he's got such great historical uh, insight on the draft as well, and so. There's nobody better to break it down, and uh, we won't waste much time because we just want to jump into this interview. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and welcome in Mel Kuyper. Well, we are thrilled to be joined by Mel Kuyper, the best in the business, ESPN senior NFL draft analyst. Uh, And Mel, let's start here. I mean, last year, you were consistent. You had Patrick Queen the whole way, and lo and behold, Patrick Queen was a pick. This year, consistent again with another LSU prospect, wide receiver Terrence Marshall Jr. So my question here, Mel, is who's your inside man? All right, you got a source. <laughs> well, you got a source, apparently. We got to know. No, really, it's just a good guess. I mean, it's just logic, I guess. It's still the need. It was the right, right player. Actually, I was kind of tossed between Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen, ended up moving Murray up, and Queen just stayed and remained in that spot, felt no reason to change it. Terrace Marshall Jr., I thought about going Rashad Bateman, a wide receiver from Minnesota, but I pushed Bateman down to Green Bay. So, you know, you always think about coming off the player you had in a but if you remain consistent, and if it's my attitude, if it's close, stay consistent. And it was close, so I didn't want to make that change. So Terrace Marshall Jr. still in play for the Baltimore Ravens late in the first round. So what is it you like about uh, Terrace Marshall? like the fact that he has the kind of size they want, and he has the production already behind him, both at the high school level, the college level. When he had Justin Jefferson there, and he had Jamar Chase there, he was still catching 13 touchdown passes and doing a really good job. And he can play slot, he can play wide, he can do things versatility-wise that you need. Uh, I think he's NFL-ready. Uh, the Ravens aren't going to get, and this has been talked about, Vinny Serrato and I talk about this a lot, that you're not going to get free agent receivers necessarily to want to come here. They 
tried for for uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. They tried for Kenny Galladay. They tried for T.Y. Hilton. Ended up with Sammy Watkins. But if you want to, and, and Miles Boykin has not emerged like they had hoped. You know, we'll have to see about James Prochet and Devin Duvernay in year two, improving over year one in terms of production. But if you want to go out and improve that position, you have to do it via the draft. This is one position that's kind of eluded the Ravens over the years. Uh, you know, so they haven't really been able to hit on that spot. And I think this year, uh, go back one more time, whether it's Terrace Marshall Jr., whether it's Rashad Bateman, who, by the way, ran 4.39 at his pro day, uh, had a really good 2019 season, then uh, COVID obviously affected him negatively in terms of his performance this year. He, too, has been slot and outside, great hands, route runner, great kid. Uh, like I say, if you go back to 2019, just watch that Penn State game one time, and you'll see a, a player that could be at one will of a receiver in the NFL. Yeah, so you have Terrace Marshall Jr. ranked over Rashad Bateman, uh, but I'm sure it's close. Why, why do you like Terrace over Bateman? You know, I still haven't finalized those rankings. I'll do that in another few days. Uh, yeah, that's going to be tight. Uh, Bateman ran at 4.39, which was an eye-opener. I, I always thought he'd be a 4.5 guy. I said, if he runs 4.5, that's plenty good enough. There were those that thought 4.55, 4.58. He runs 4. Now, granted, it's a pro day. It's not the combine. Big difference. Pro days are usually a lot better than combine because combine, obviously, the pressure is intense. You have to do everything on their turf, on their situation. They dictate everything. You've already been poked and prodded, gone through the whole thing. And at a pro day, it's on your turf. You're kind of, it's a home game for you. And usually those times are a lot better. So you maybe say, okay, if it was 4.45, would have been plenty fast. Stuff. He was four three nine, so that to me was the eye opener for him. Now he wasn't quite as big. You know, he was six foot and change, six foot and a half, about one ninety. He said, "Hey, those 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 uh, those press guide weights of two hundred five, two hundred were were press guide weights." I've always been around one ninety, one ninety five. So uh, he just looked a little bigger on tape, but you know, the fact that he's over six feet is enough right there. And the fact that we know he's a great kid, and we know what a hard worker he is, and we know he has the versatility that I talked about with Marshall. So I, I'd say right now that's still to be determined for me. I've not yet finalized that uh, in terms of a ranking, but believe me, they're both going to be in the same general area. Mm-hmm. And in terms of style on the two of those guys, do you think of them as pretty similar players? Are there is there a big difference in terms of the type of player that they are? Well, I think this Bateman had he played like he did in 2019 would have been the guy. Uh, yeah, there's no question. I thought he'd be a top 10 to top 15 pick back in August, and then you watch him, it didn't look like the same player, and you said, "What's wrong?" And then you find out the COVID issue, and then you know he also has asthma. He's got you know working through this year was a challenge for for Rashad Bateman, admittedly, and uh, you got to almost throw that year out and just look back at 2019 and before and see what a player he was at Minnesota with the Golden Gophers. So uh, Marshall, yeah. Like I said, this year had three quarterbacks throwing the football at LSU. Now, no Joe Burrow. You go to two true freshmen, okay, Finley and then Johnson, Brad Johnson's son, and and, and Finley. And then you go to, uh, you know, uh, Miles Brennan, who ended up getting hurt. He was going to be the heir apparent. He got hurt. So three different quarterbacks, none of whom were Joe Burrow. And they didn't have Chase, who opted out. Uh, you know, like I say, you think about, uh, you, know, you know, where he was without Chase. Justin Jefferson lighting it up with the Minnesota Vikings, you know, having a great rookie year. And he's, he's the last man standing. So uh, they had others like Racy McMahon and other guys, but they didn't have the elite quarterback. So uh, 
that impacted him. He did have a couple uncharacteristic drops uh, Marshall did this year, uh, but he can bend, he can get out of his cuts, he, he can certainly catch the low ball. He showed this year he could catch some uh, some uh, throws that were off the target. So uh, for me, I think either one of them. If they're both there, that's going to be interesting. If, if one's gone, it makes it a little easier. But uh, I think both of them could possibly be there. Bateman's getting a little play now, maybe ahead of where the Ravens are picking. Marshall, not as much. So Bateman seems like he's a hot guy right now of those two. It doesn't mean Marshall's dropping. It's just that Bateman, after running that 4-3-9, now has woken people up to, hey, go back to the 2019 tape and realize just how good he was. Yeah, the problem here, Mel, is that you're letting everybody know about Bateman. You're, you're talking him up. You're talking about the 4-3. got to keep it quiet here. I thought we had an agreement. Well, I try to help the Ravens the best I can, you know, but it's something you can't, you can't deny. You just have to do your job. And, oh, hey, bottom line is nobody cares what I say anyway. They're doing their do. They're, they're at these workouts. They see it all. Uh, you know, maybe if I promote them heavily, they'll go the other way and say, ah, if I feel like someone get off. I don't, I don't, maybe maybe they'll, they'll be the work the opposite way. But, uh, you know, the Ravens certainly also need a pass rusher. We know that. And an interior lineman, be it a guard or a center, tight end certainly wouldn't hurt at some point, and a safety. So there's other ways to attack. This, but I do think pass rusher and interior offensive linemen are going to be really, you know, in play. Whether it's not if it's not the first round with say a Landon Dickerson from Alabama or a pass rusher like a Jason Oway from Penn State, somebody like that. Uh, you know, wait till the second round and see what happens there. Uh, the deepest positions in this draft are the offensive line, wide receiver, and corner. So that hits two of the three spots the Ravens need help in terms of the great depth at those respective positions. Right, so you brought up some more names there, and I guess the question is, you know, you've been consistent with Terrace Marshall, but if it's not Terrace Marshall, who do you see it being at that point? I would think then you would go with a pass rusher. And I think Landon Dickerson's very attractive there. He's a center guard. You know all about him. He had a great season going, and then he got hurt, uh, missed those last two games. Actually, he was like a coach on the field down at the Senior Bowl practices. But I think Aziz Ojolari from Georgia, uh, Jason Owe, Penn State, uh, if they were Joe Tryon, Washington. But of those, that Owe's the I'd say this. This, this, uh, I think it was like two weeks ago. The most fascinating defensive player in the draft is Jason Oway. Uh, because he had that, if you, I don't know if you saw the work at the pro day, he ran 4-3-9. He's got incredibly long arms. He's nearly 6-5, 260. Incredible athlete. But here's a pass rusher that didn't have a sack this year. And they said, well, he wasn't used the way he should have been. Bottom line is, uh, you, know, you can take you know all these different pass rushers over the years and use them any way you want. They're going to get sacks. Well, he didn't have a sack. And he had five and a half in 2019 a couple of which were coverage sacks. So to me, with that talent, you should have seen more production regardless of how he was utilized. But the feeling is he hustles, he does a good job against the run, he can do some things uh, getting after the quarterback as he showed in 2019. He can be maybe the guy when the light goes on, he's coached up and utilized properly. They could with that, I mean, that's rare talent. 4 three, nine speed. We talked about Bateman running. This is a, a pass rusher running 4 three, nine. So, uh, so Jason right. Oway from Penn State, uh, like I said, you imagine, think about pass rusher with no sacks. How in the heck can this guy be a first rounder? Well, well because he's a freak. He's a, he's a freak. He could be. Right. I mean, there it seems to be a, a number of several edge players that could all be there at 27. I mean, Quiddy Pay, probably gone before then, but, you know, the guy's kind of in that general 20s mix. Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, Azizu Ojolari, like you said, Owe, maybe Gregory Rousseau, you know, some of those, Zavin Collins. Of those guys, which one is the best fit for the Ravens and which one's most likely to be there at 27? 
I love Jalen Phillips uh, if he were there. Uh, whether he will be is very debatable. I think he could go in that 17 to 23 range. But he also, because of the durability concern, could drop a little further than that. He had a spectacular year at Miami. Ironically, wore the same number as Gregory Rousseau opted out. Played as well as Rousseau, if not better, even though he didn't have as many sacks as Rousseau did in 2019. And he really had an incredible pro day to Rousseau's, who was a little bit underwhelming at his pro day. Phillips was off the charts great at his pro day. So big difference there. The opt-out hurt Rousseau. I think Rousseau goes maybe early to mid-second, possibly late first. But I think Phillips is, is the guy right now to watch for the Ravens. If somehow, some way, he slipped through, you could scratch out Terrace Marshall and put in Jalen Phillips. I really think that he would override any receiver, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall Jr., because that's what they need. They need that edge guy. Now, they've had good luck, the Ravens had, as you know. You know, getting you know, a guy like Matthew Judon late, getting Pernell McPhee late, you know, getting Zedaria Smith late. Um, Hasn't worked out quite as well with Tyus Bowser early, but, you know, we'll see how he, what kind of player he develops into. But in terms of, of Jalen Phillips, with his length, his explosive get off the line of scrimmage, the way his takeoff, anticipating the count, which Rousseau doesn't always do that well, um, to me, Jalen Phillips would be the guy to keep really a close eye on it. Like I said, somehow, some way, teams were scared off a little bit with the durability, and he dropped down to the Ravens. Whoa, boy, that would be a heck of a discussion if he's there with Marshall and Bateman. Mm. That, that could kind of be the quintessential Ravens draft. You know, the guy, it's like, why is this guy still available? Why is this guy still available? And then all of a sudden, uh, the Ravens end up getting him. Um, I, another guy I want to ask you about here, Mel, is uh, TCU safety, uh, Trevin Mori. Uh, he, he's another one that, you know, you look at safety, you don't necessarily say, that's a huge need. The Ravens need to address that. But they potentially could. And he's one of those guys that he's so good if he's there, maybe he's too much to pass up and you go with best player available. What do you think uh, on him? A really good player. I love, I love his range. I love his versatility. And, you know, safeties, they can't be the 1985 style of safety anymore. Uh, they got to be able to run and cover and tackle on the open field and be, be a guy, can be a center fielder, can be in the box, can be anywhere you line Trayvon Merrick up. Uh, he is going to make plays for you. And he, he's a guy that is a football player. He's not one of those guys going to wow you over in a workout necessarily, but uh, on the field, he was impressive. I think he goes a little later because our teams really don't prioritize that spot like they did. Um, I would say 17 to the Raiders would be highest I could see him going. I project him in all the mocks, and I have been consistent with this. You mentioned Marshall always being projected to the Ravens. I think Jaguar fans are sick of my mock drafts because I haven't changed them uh, in terms of the first round. I've had Trayvon Merrick going to the Jaguars at 25 all along. That's a neat area for them. If he drops down that far, he becomes a really good pick. He's certainly one of the better defensive players, if not the best defensive player in the draft, one of the top two. And our Darius Washington at, at TCU is a really good player, undersized, but I think will play above and beyond that. One of those overachiever types that is, is a probably no worse than a third-round pick. So TCU is going to have a first-round defensive back. They're going to have a third-round defensive back. So depending on what happens with Orlando Brown Jr., you know the Ravens are going to need a starting right tackle either immediately or probably after next season, You know, depending on how they feel about Tyree Phillips potentially taking over that spot. Uh, but but you recently mocked uh, Notre Dame's Liam Eichenberg uh, to the Ravens with their second round pick. Can you talk about what you like about Liam? 
Liam is a left tackle at Notre Dame who will be overmatched at left tackle. Doesn't have the feet and the overall you know talent, I think, to be a left tackle. But as a right tackle or a guard, uh, I think he can get the job done. So Liam Eikenberg, if you look at him as a Raven, would probably be either the heir apparent to Orlando Brown. Obviously, if he's traded, you could look at him. You could also, I think, change it up a little bit. And if Tevin Jenkins were there uh, at the late first, now if they get the say they, they trade Orlando Brown for a first, and all of a sudden Tevin Jenkins is an immediate replacement at right tackle out of Oklahoma State, which is where he played. And he obviously has some left tackle skills in him, but he's a guy that really gets after it, has, ne- has neutralized the pass rush of some really good players over the years. I think he would be a guy as you look at in the first round, if you're looking second round, Alex Leatherwood, they love Alabama players. Alex Leatherwood at left tackle, I think struggled. Uh, people say, well, he held his own. He didn't give up sacks. Well, that was because Mac Jones got the ball out so quick. Uh, you know, so I think when you look at Alex Leatherwood, is he a right tackle? Yes, I think he could be guard, possibly. Uh, down the road, he kicks inside. So if you draft Alex Leatherwood, I'm, not, I'm thinking right tackle for him. Samuel Cosme, Texas, I think more of a right tackle than a left tackle. You have Jalen Mayfield, Michigan as well. So of that, and Dylan Raidens from North Dakota State's a left tackle. So really, it depends upon, guys, what you do with Orlando Brown. If you trade him, you could be in play for Jenkins. If you keep him, then you're probably looking more second round, like I say, for a Liam Eikenberg or an Alex Leatherwood. The other position on the, along the offensive line is center. And really the interior of that offensive line. They added Zeitler, who's going to be the right guard. But center is one where the Ravens could look to to improve. And you mentioned Landon, Landon Dickerson. Maybe he's an option uh, in the first round. The other is Creed Humphrey. I mean, those are two of the big-name guys there at center. What do you think of those two players, and, and could they be a fit? I think Landon Dickerson would be a great fit. Now, he's going to start the year probably not available PUP with the coming off the knee injury. Uh, but you love his intensity. I love his leadership at a center position. That's a key. He's, a, he's the anchor. He's going to be around a long time. He's going to set the tone. And he's got that attitude, that approach. He's almost like a defensive tackle playing center. Uh, he's got that fire. Casey Jensen was that way, fiery. This guy's very fiery. Uh, like has like a, a coaching mentality uh, you know, in terms of your offensive line overall. Great knowledge. Uh, and he's going to be you know, a plug-and-play guy once he's healthy. Now, like I said, he won't necessarily be ready for game one, but by game four, game five, he should be. Uh, Creed Humphrey, Oklahoma, a little mixed opinion on him when you talk to people in the league. Uh, I think he's more of a three. Some people, I know Todd McShay has mocked him in the second. I think he could go late second. But Quinn Miners from Wisconsin-Whitewater, guard center, had a great senior bowl week, dominated that level of competition. Uh, he could be in the third-round discussion. Trey Hill from Georgia, a Josh Myers, Ohio State, Michael Minette, Penn State, uh, Drew Dahlman from Stanford or other centers that have a chance to play in this league uh, and, and have a nice career. Trey Hill being probably the next guy after after that group I mentioned of, uh, of, of Dickerson, Humphrey, and Miners. Trey Hill from Georgia would fall in next. So, so I love all this talk about different positions, but let's get back to the position that we all know Ravens fans want to talk about the most, and that's wide receiver. <laughs> um, so, so if the if the Ravens don't take one in the first round, you right. know, who are some guys that you see in the second round, third round, you know, day two good fits at wide receiver for the Ravens? That's the great question. I'm glad you really didn't go back. It's, it's not a joke to go back to wide receiver because wide receiver <laughs> is so deep. I, I really think you're going to see 14 to 16 go in the first two rounds. Uh, you'll see probably 20 to 22 in the first three, upwards of 35 after the sixth round is completed. So you're talking about six 
to eight per round early, uh, and it's going to be consistent throughout. So second-round guys, uh, Deami Brown from North Carolina is a fast riser. Wouldn't, hey, wouldn't be shocked to see him in the late first for the Ravens. Uh, he's another guy, four-four-three guy, average over 20 yards a catch the last two years, has the length, can go down the field and high point the ball and make catches that we didn't see Raven receivers making on a regular basis. You know, he's going to be a, a, a nightmare to match up against because you get those shorter corners. He, like I say, he's over six feet. He's got length. Uh, he can go leap and get it. Uh, I point it. So Deami uh, Brown is a guy. Anthony Schwartz from Auburn ran really well. He's a, he's a speed burner. Uh, 4-3 guy. Didn't have the production at Auburn. A lot of that was Bo Nix not being the, the great passing quarterback that Stidham was. He was better with Stidham. He averaged over about 16 yards a catch that year. Average for catch hasn't equaled what you would hope from a guy who runs in the 4-2s. So Anthony Schwartz, though, another guy over 6 feet tall. Not that little 5-9, 160-pounder, but a bigger receiver at over 6 feet. Now, the little guys... Got another Hollywood Brown in this draft. Two two Atwell from Louisville, very similar. If you want to comp to Hollywood Brown, Rondale Moore. I love Amari Rogers as a slot receiver coming out of Clemson. His father, T. Martin. You know about him with the Ravens, former quarterback yeah. at Tennessee. Um, watch out for Amari Rogers in round two. A fast riser is Simi Fahoko at Stanford. Was the main target for Davis Mills, who has risen up boards into the second round. Quarterback there, uh, Shai Smith from South Carolina is a good slot guy. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan, cornerback, wide receiver. Receiver there settled in at a good senior bowl week. Uh, Amonra St. Brown from USC is another one. Sage Surratt, Wake Forest, another one. Nico Collins, Michigan. Josh Palmer, Tennessee. Kay Johnson, South Dakota State. And then Mark West Stevenson, Houston. And Des Fitzpatrick, Louisville. Not to mention Jonathan Adams, Arkansas State. Austin Watkins, Junior, UAB. Uh, you know, Trayvon Grimes, Florida. I love Tamari and Terry as a late round steal out of Florida State. Went back and looked at him from 2019, and he looked really good. Uh, even dating back years before that. So uh, there's some guys, I think, because of this draft being so deep, Dax Milne from BYU is going to be a day three guy. There's going to be steals in this draft. Jalen Darden, I haven't mentioned that, North Texas is a slot guy. Uh, watch out for him. Very explosive player. So I don't know how many guys I just mentioned. Had to be Whoopers of 25, I think. Seemed like seemed like 50, but there you go. You know, I was kind of on all, all my fingers and toes. Powell from Clemson, the other, the other receiver. You know? <laughs> that was a lot of guys. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, how many wide receivers I could keep talking about. And that's where NFL teams have to sift through this figure out, do we need a slot? Do we need an X? What do we need here? Do, you know, what, are we, what are we looking for? Are we, are we going to roll the dice on a guy who's a little inconsistent but has upside or get the guy that could be a consistent guy catching the ball? you got the, the guys that could be possession types as well. So you got Daz Newsom at North Carolina. you got a guy like Ben Skoranek at Notre Dame. I mentioned Dax Milne at BYU. Warren Jackson, Colorado State. Uh, Marlon Williams, UCF. Isaiah McCoy, Kent State. I like Jacob Harris at UCF. I thought here was a kid who could be a late-round undrafted free agent steal. You watch him in certain games. He finally put it all together. You know, dual sport guy, Jacob Harris from UCF. Watch out for him. K.J. Stefferson, Notre Dame early, ends up to Jacksonville State. Watch out for him. So, Jalen Camp, Georgia Tech, Trey Walker, San Jose State, Wattfilier, Indiana. All these names, guys, are draftable. Mike Strachan from Charleston, Blake Prohl, Ricky Prohl is getting to East Carolina. I mean, I, I have never, ever seen a wide receiver group and I have to talk to Todd about this. I've never seen a wide receiver group this talented and this deep. 
Hey, we have seven picks. I'm thinking seven wide receivers the way you're talking here. Minimum of four, right? Get them all. What the heck here? Sure, take advantage <laughs> of it. But, the, but guess what, guys? It also correlates to offensive line. I'm not going to reel off 50 names here, but the offensive line is very deep as well. And like I say, if you need yeah. a corner, it's a good year to get one there. But the Ravens, obviously, from the offensive line standpoint, wide receiver and some pass rushers that I think are pretty good. Patrick Johnson from Tulane. Watch out for that kid in the third or fourth round. He could be a really good pick. Had a ton of sacks. I love his spin move, his athleticism. Cameron Sample on the D-line from Tulane is going to be probably a third-round pick. So the Green Wave are going to supply the NFL with two good defensive players in Cameron Sample and also uh, Patrick Johnson. So, so, Mel, if there's, you know, 150 draftable receivers that you just mentioned there, and the, and the Ravens have the need there, are you, is this a year where the Ravens are more likely to trade back and accumulate picks? I mean, they've done that in the past. Eric DaCosta loves picks. How confident, I guess, would you be on, I guess, give us a scale of 1 to 10 that DaCosta trades back in the first round, adds picks, and then, you know, has those to play with? They really like to do it because they can make those picks count. And then I think if you get an offer, say somebody wants to go up and get a Davis Mills, the quarterback at Stanford, which can happen in the late first round, or they fall in love with players at the end, end of the first round because teams reevaluate the boards and they get into day two, which doesn't start until, you know, on Friday evening late, right? So you got the whole day, next day, teams get a little fearful that I'm going to lose that. I'm not going to get that guy in the mid second or the late second. So let's go up and get him. Okay. So that's why that late first round pick has a lot of value. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's a I'd say it's a 60%, 70% chance that the Ravens move off of that pick. If the right guys are still around and they feel like, okay, we got three, four guys we like, we can get one of them by moving down, why not? And then pick up some extra choices. So, yeah, I, I think based on the way this board could fall, yes, I think there's a, a more than a 50% uh, chance that they would trade out of there. Well, another, another position or another way the Ravens could get a pass catcher is at tight end. And you know how much they love their tight ends, you know, especially they traded Hayden Hurst. You know, they didn't really replace him. You know, are, are there good tight end fits that you see on day two, you know, day three? Yeah, I think day two, you'd be looking at Hunter Long from Boston College, who ran a four six three forty on the heels of a really good career after, you know, you know talking about a guy 6'5", 255. He's a traditional tight end. I said today, Todd and I were doing TV, I said, if you, this was 1985, Hunter Long was a top 15, top 20 pick in the first round. Because <laughs> that was, the you know, when you're looking for a traditional throwback tight end uh, at a Boston College, Hunter Long, I think he's a second round pick. I've been going to Jacksonville. Uh, there's a little method to that madness, because they need a tight end. Plus, you have the connection with Ohio State, which have Halfley and, and Urban Meyer. Halfley raves about the Hunter Long. So I think Hunter Long in the second round. Pat Fryer, Muth, Penn State, probably second or early third. A uh, guy that's moved up a little bit couple guys. Zach Davidson at Central Missouri has the length and the speed to stretch the deep middle. He's more of a fifth round pick, but he's at least on boards now. Uh, Trey McKitty from Georgia, formerly of Florida State, is an interesting guy. John Bates, Boise State, had a nice senior bowl week at one of the heels of a pretty good season. Kenny Yaboa went Temple to Ole Miss, and he can get down a field. He's kind of a, a more, it looks more like a wide receiver playing tight end. And Brevin Jordan from Miami is a guy can can catch the ball and then go 20 yards after the catch. And then Tommy Tremble, if you want to blocker who's going to drop some balls little fights the football at times but he'll block like a fullback he'll give you a tremendous effort hopefully improves catching the football more consistently but the best blocking tight end in this draft uh, is Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame Ravens like blocking yeah for sure so so last one here from me Mel 
this is obviously a weird year um, during the pre-draft process, no combine. You know, you talked about how pro day times can be a little bit tricky to kind of figure out what the true numbers are on those. Do you think that because of all that, and also just scouts weren't able to go out and watch games as much, shortened season, all those things, do you think that there will be more misses as a result of all that this year? But could that also benefit the Ravens because the Ravens have such a, a strong personnel group where they're looking at guys and they have great relationships that they can lean on in a weird year like this? It's a great question. I, I, th- I called in in August the most mysterious draft ever, and I've been doing it for 43 years. So that's a long time, and it's not an, an exaggeration. Uh, unfortunately, with COVID, you had a season that was interrupted. Uh, kids had to deal with this and the testing and the changing and schedules and not knowing if you're practicing, who you're playing, when you're playing. It was just a, a weird year and a tragic year. And I think when you look at uh, you know, where the, these teams are, they have less information on players than they've ever had. And you, you know, they want more they got less and that was just that's a no combine like I said these pro days skew everything because you don't have apples to apples anymore so it's un- you can't compare the, the, the numbers of players this year to numbers from 10 years ago like you normally could because you don't have that that historical you know base you don't you can't use anymore because pro days are always skewed positively so to me it's, it's going to be a, a, like I say as mysterious as any other to, to answer the question yes there probably will be some mistakes or mistakes every year but I think that's why teams are prioritizing next year year's prospects and 2023 prospects in these trades you saw those teams worry about getting picks in 2022 and 2023 because that'll be years that are more back they hope than normal so you can have a better idea of who you're taking you have more information on those players you have all-star games other than the senior bowl you have a combine workout you have a normal year where you can actually see players and be there on campus these opt-outs that these kids that didn't play and opted out you had no contact with any of those kids during the year zero contact were you allowed so for for me, uh, yeah, that's why I'm, I'm really anxious to see when you get into the second round. Well, a team say, okay, you give me a higher pick. Now you get a, if you're in the third, give me a two next year. If you're in the fourth, give me a three next year. I think if they can get that higher pick in next year's draft, well, some teams may be inclined to do it. And as you guys know, teams fall in love with players. You can always find teams that are going to want a player no matter what. They're going to say, oh, we got a top 25, top 50 grade on this kid, and here we are. We can get them at a bargain point. Let's give up that pick next year. And other teams are going to say, hey, if you want it, you can have it. Give us a three instead of where we are now in the fourth. You give us that three, you can you can make that move. So I'm anxious to see how much activity we get from that standpoint once we get past round two. Interesting. Uh, and the last one for me, Mel, you know, COVID obviously impacted us in a lot of ways. Uh, it impacted a lot of haircuts. It impacted my haircuts. <laughs> what did you do during COVID for the classic Mel Kuyper haircut? Did you have to get that cut at home? What'd you do, Mel? That's like, you know what? You must have a, you must be a psychic because you you understand what what goes on here. Now, my my cousin is a professional hair stylist. Okay, Dennis Kuyper Ooh. does a great job. Is in Anne Arundel County in Annapolis. Does phenomenal. What the best haircut called Dennis Kuyper? Okay, he's, he's phenomenal. <laughs> uh, Kim Kuyper. Kim only second to Kim Kuyper who cut my hair all these years. Uh, you know, Dennis started. The, then he started to cut my hair recently, and I'm back to now Kim because it was with COVID. Kim started cutting it again, so it went from Kim to Denny back to Kim, and it'll be back to Denny probably again soon. But um, it's it's Kim. It's all Kim now. It's not much left, guys. The, the, the hair is going. going 
going gone. It's thinned out dramatically. <laughs> it's not what it used to be. I don't know if it ever was anything special, but it's certainly not what it was. So it's uh, it's way down the board now in terms of hair. Nobody's talking. Hey, you know what? Nobody's even talking about it anymore, which is a good thing, right? Because uh, that's all they talked about back in the day when it was really long and, and out of whack. But it's uh, it's now uh, it's now uh, it's now as cemented down as it's ever been thanks to L.A. looks. Uh, thanks to Just for Men, it's not as gray as it is sometimes. Sometimes it looks gray than others. Sometimes it's dark than others. That's because of Just for Men. So, so I'm, I'm adjusting to the times, guys. When you hit 61, you got to adjust. Hey, it's still a priority free agent for me, Mel. Always. Hey, no, always no further than that. It always, at least it's a priority, right? At least it was always a free agent. Now, that was, now at least it's a, it's a camp. At least I can get to a camp, right? Yeah, that's right. You get an invite. <laughs> that's awesome, Mel. Hey, it's really good to catch up. You had some great insight. This was a lot of fun. And uh, Ravens fans, obviously, you can catch you on ESPN. Mel is ESPN Senior Draft Analyst. Also, make sure you check out his podcast, First Draft Podcast, along with Tom McShay and Field Yates. So, Mel, always fun to catch up and really appreciate your time. Yeah, one more plug. i got to plug Dari and Mel. Dari wouldn't like it if I didn't plug Dari and Mel show every Saturday morning from 10 to 1 Eastern on ESPN Radio, ESPNRadio.com. So, if you want more, if you want to hear about 25 more wide receivers, listen to Dari and Mel. <laughs> I got more for you. <laughs> nice. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Mel. Take care, guys. Enjoy it, man. Guys are the best. Too. Take care, bud. Take care, man. I don't know how many more wide receivers, uh, you know, we can take this year, but it sounds like we got a million to choose from. I started taking notes, and first of all, I couldn't keep up. I mean, I got like two names down, and then I, I just couldn't keep up and was completely well, <laughs> off track because I was trying to get some nuggets there for my mock. I, it's, it's now the time, two weeks away, where I'm really starting to think about the seven-round mock, and you start thinking about some of those third, fourth, fifth-round picks, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. rattling off so-and-so from Whitewater, Wisconsin, and different places. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Here, here's a small school guy. <laughs> I'm going to have some insight. And it was impossible to keep up with. So I'm gonna, I personally am going to have to listen to this podcast again <laughs> to get some info from my <laughs> seven-round mock. So who do, you, who do you have between Terrace Marshall and Rashad Bateman? Because that seems like the question number one these days for Ravens fans. That's the debate. I like Terrace Marshall – more than Bateman in the first round. Um, I, I think that production was there. I know that Mel talked about you could kind of throw out last season for Bateman, and, and maybe that's fair. Um, I also, and I don't know how much stock you put into this, I, I like the LSU pedigree at wide receiver. Obviously, there's not this great Minnesota pedigree uh, at wide receiver. Does that really matter? I don't know. I, I put some stock into it. Um, I think both are, It's it's to me, it's not a, a coin flip. I give Marshall a little bit of an edge over Bateman there. You know, when we had Jeremiah on last week, he talked about how he has Marshall at like 37 and Bateman was 48 on his big board. So he had a, a fairly significant gap between the two of them. Um, so I would lean Marshall. What about you? I don't know. And I don't want to tip my hand to you. Uh, <laughs> You're not going to throw uh, me no, off the seat. This is what you start playing games and trying to throw smoke screens out there. I am committed to who I want to take. Now, I'm not going to tell you exactly who I'm going to take, but whatever games you play isn't going to affect me. We all know who you're going to take. You're going to take Terrace Marshall. <laughs> and probably nail it again. I'll play. probably nail it again. That's who you're going to take. You just See, that's your thing. You just take like the guy who's the most popular pick that everybody else is putting out there. You're, you're just a lemming. You're a lemming. <laughs> just follow the herd. That's what you do. See, I'm bold. right? I'm like a, I'm like a zebra, man. I got these bold stripes. <laughs> I am bold. I, you are a lemming. So that's who you're taking. 
yeah, yeah. I got news for you, buddy. The goal here isn't to be bold when you're putting out the seven round mock. The goal is to get it right, <laughs> and I get it right a lot more than you do. No, no, that's not true. <laughs> you just got it right last year. You got it right last year. Um, anyway, yeah, the, my sleepless nights have, be, have begun. I'm getting antsy. I'm nervous. Putting a lot of thought into this, uh, and Mel, Mel, help drop some knowledge. So I, I think you know, I'll take some of those suggestions for sure. The, um, honestly, anyway. the, the biggest takeaway for me on Mel, real quick before we before we close here, and also want to remind everyone you can email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net and, and let us know what questions uh, you have for us and also for any of the other guests we're going to have before the draft. But I thought his point on Jalen Phillips was m- one of the more interesting yes. ones. That was uh, that one caught my attention. I I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I mean. Uh, that's because that's really what I'm grappling with, right? If you're not going wide receiver, like you're probably going pass rusher in the first round. And which guy is it? You know, like that. The, the tough part is, like Mel said, there's a million wide receivers. Like you can get these guys late. And now at some point, like I'm like, all right, I, I just want to go get another first round guy. Like the Ravens need that. You know, I think that there's some validity to what Mel's saying. Like, you know, what what free agent wide receiver are you going to get? And is it even wise to spend a lot of money? on wide receiver and free agency so like the way to kind of uh you know kill two birds with one stone in that regard is to draft guys and i i do think as much depth as there is at wide receiver like the ravens don't need more depth at wide receiver Mm -hmm. they need like another stud right i mean they they already have they have boykin duvernay prochet you know and i like i i I still am eager to see what those guys are going to turn into but like I think long term and and Hollywood's now going into his third year, you know, you need another stud. And and so I do like the idea of getting one in the first round, but if you're if you're not going to do that because of the depth and you say, "Hey, we can get a great guy in the second or third round." Well, now which pass rusher is it? Yeah. That's the question. Is it Aziz Ojolari, Owe, you know, or is it Jalen Phillips? I think that's the question. Well, Jalen Phillips and, and Mel talked about this, and, and again, Jeremiah talked about it as well. He would be a guy that all of a sudden is, it's falling, and it's like, whoa, okay. You know, I, I don't know where he's going to end up on his big board, but Jeremiah had him top 10. Say Mel has him top 15, and he's the, one of those guys, you know, as they're sitting there on draft night and they're sitting around the desk and they got the best available, and they show that, you know, we're at pick number 23, mm-hmm. and, and the, and the, Right. How is this guy yeah, still the on the board? The 12 best player is still on the board. I can't believe Phillips is still out here. He could be a fit. And then all right, of a sudden, right, 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 right. you know, the Ravens get him. And then everyone says, this is a classic Ravens pick. This guy's going to be a great fit there. Like, that could happen. That would not shock me if it played out that way. Well, especially because of his history. I mean, the guy retired from football. Right. <laughs> I mean, he was out of college football a little while because it's it's not it's injuries, too, with the concussions. I mean... That's going to give some owners and GMs when you're on the clock. That that could give some guys some pause. Like, do we want to take a guy who has some concussion history here? You know, who who stepped away from football entirely, right? For a period, you know, like there's there's some question marks there, especially in a year where you didn't have as many as thorough of evaluations. You probably didn't have you know as op- many opportunities to talk to this guy to really get a great feel for him as a person and where his head's at and all that stuff. That could certainly lead to him falling, and then. You know, then the question also becomes for the Ravens, how comfortable do they feel taking a guy with some of those kind of red flags on his resume? So it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's that's certainly the the most intriguing thing to watch is this is this pass rusher dynamic and the receiver dynamic. 
going into draft weekend. So, look, we're going to have some more uh, good guests that we're going to be bringing your way. Uh, we got a couple of people in the works, uh, and we're going to try to get you some some more interviews leading into the draft. Like I said, you can email, email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. Let us know what questions you have. Let us know who you want to draft. We'd love to hear from you guys and get your perspective as well. So uh, that's it for us today. Thank, thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you next week. Thank you.